All right, y'all, before we start, because some of y'all be tripping, under the advice of counsel, I got to add that the views, thoughts, opinions that are expressed on this podcast are mine and mine alone. They do not represent my employer. All right, let's go. What's up, y'all? We are back with another episode of Rich My Forest Finest, the podcast. And today we have a very special guest. We got the social justice educator herself, Dr. Kiana O'Leary. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. How are you? I'm doing well. Well, I'm so happy that you're here. I'm happy to see you. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. All right. We're going to go ahead and jump right into it. So before we even get started with all the good stuff I have for you, tell us about you. Let's learn about Dr. O'Leary. Wow. Uh, So I am a Los Angeles native. Been there, raised, uh, born and raised Los Angeles, California, and uh, started my career in education. I always say, you know, I had humble beginnings, started off as an instructional aide, then became a, a teacher in a gen ed setting as an English uh, language arts teacher. Okay. And then kind of moved up as department chair, vice principal, then principal, director, and uh, then I went into higher ed. And now I'm, uh, I'll call myself semi retired because I'm still doing that work mm-hmm. just uh, from an educational um consultant role now, really coaching principals, working with schools to really promote equity-centered education. So you literally started from the bottom. Yes. You earned your stripes. That part. Okay. So we can't talk about you being an admin that just did two years of theater and jumped into it. Not at all. Not at all. Don't do me. I love love it. I love it. I love it. So how many years in total do you have as an educator? Over 20. Over 20. So I always look at my daughter as my barometer. She's Mm -hmm. 22, and I think I got started when she was two. So about 20. She's like one and a half, so about 20, 20 plus years. Okay. I do the same thing for my oldest son. Like, how old are you? Okay, yeah, I remember. <laughs> I remember. So you are known as a social justice educator. Let's talk about that because, that you know, that's my jam. Let's talk about that. So when I really think about social justice, I really think about speaking up for folks who don't have a voice. So really looking at the marginalized kids on campus and like, oh, we see that you have some reoccurring barriers, challenges within the system that's prohibiting you from having access or opportunities such as the other children. So what are we doing to tackle some of those barriers and some of those challenges? Not all the time is it racial. Sometimes it could be gender. Sometimes it could be, you know, based on um, cognition, mm-hmm. um, labels that people have put on kids and so I just really kind of champion um being that that voice for those kids who are having these reoccurring challenges that um prohibit them from having their success as their counterparts okay so I remember one video I did and I think you may have amen it or something but I was talking about high school dropout rates on one video and you were kind of like oh this this is my thing tag me in tag me in so I know that you are very um very good at strategies in organizational structures that prevent or reduce the dropout rate in in high school students. So let's talk about that. What are some of your strategies? And you have a strategy that you use on a campus that reduced the dropout rate dramatically. So let's talk about that. Yeah, so I was hired um, one of five administrators to do a turnaround school. Mm. And in the state of California, a turnaround school, it's a grant. 
And the reason why the school would require to have the grant is because you're going to involuntarily get rid of teachers Mm -hmm. to go pick the teachers that you want on your campus. And you need to pay them out of their contract because there are some stipulations within Mm -hmm. the bargaining arrangements that when they're involuntarily transferred, Mm -hmm. they have this payout. And so we got this really big grant. We ran around the camp. We went around the district and we knew we wanted to match you know, teachers that looked like the students who we were serving. So it was 50% black, 50% Hispanic, and that was the team that we was bringing on. Mm-hmm. And I really call it the dream team. Amen. We went, we went <laughs> and got, like, the best mathematician to be the math department chair, mm-hmm. the best ELA folks to come rock out ELA, and the kids loved it. We had um, been given the oldest school in the district. They were celebrating their centennial year, wow. so 100 years. Mm-hmm. And we needed to do a multiple things, get the culture back together. We needed to uh, get out of the red in terms of budgeting. We needed to pull up the, the the rates in terms of education. So it was a it was a big task. It was a big task. And our principal, he had us read this book called The Virtuoso Team. And it really is a book about these different teams and in different industries, not just education, and how they had different personalities and different strengths, and they kind of came together to make things happen. And so when I look at how we were able to reduce the dropout rate at that particular school, I mean, just think about Eastside High mm-hmm. times 10, right? <laughs> this was a school we were taking over. Okay. And we were able to make a, a significant change in one year. Mm-hmm. We had the we had the um, educational rates go up 23% in wow. one year. And I said, like, what was the secret sauce? And so it wasn't just one thing. Mm-hmm. There were a multitude of things. But I've been able to take some of those things, replicate them, at other schools and see the same different, the same, the same outcomes. So when you talk about culture, um, coming in and changing the culture, changing the climate, it, the climate, I'm sorry, climate, I cannot even talk this morning. Is that amongst the staff or is that amongst students? Is that the community, the parents, like all the stakeholders that go in? So let's talk about what that looks like from a parent aspect or an outsider's aspect looking in. How do you get them to change the culture? Loaded question, mm-hmm. but I'll give you I'll give you the quick and the quick and dirty. Okay. Um. So we had to do it all, mm-hmm. right? So we had uh, the infrastructure of the school was old and outdated, mm-hmm. and we needed to. Uh, we received a bond to improve the outside facility. Mm-hmm. So I was responsible. I wanted to have the first uh, turf grass NFL football stadium mm-hmm. in in the, in the district. Well, that was a couple of million. And we had to get the buy-in from the community as to all the traffic that we were now going to receive. Mm-hmm. So now we have town hall, town hall meetings with the community to kind of help them get on board with us because yeah. we need their vote in order to get this Absolutely. bond passed, right? So how are we building community? How are we building relationships with the community stakeholders who, for ages, had seen a lot of gang violence, mm-hmm. a lot of you know challenges within the school and the kids and the community? So they really weren't rocking with it. So we had to make sure that we built relationships. And building those relationships is like going into the mom and pop shops, yes, going into the hair salons, letting them see us really, really have a, a buy in uh, with their with the community. Mm-hmm. When we talk about kids, it was kids who didn't even want to rock the Letterman's jacket. Like I don't want people knowing I go to this school. Ooh. So we had to build the morale with the kids to let them know, like, yo, this is a dope school. Yeah. Represent your school. Represent your color. So how school do you do pride, that? All school of pride. That. How do you do that? You have to have a dynamic football team. So I went. Hey, got, one of my, got one of my boys who was the alumni. 
He went on to play for UCLA, went on mm-hmm. to play for the 49ers, got hurt, was like, yo, come back, come coach the kids where you graduate, your wow. alma mater. And so his name was that reputation. Now we got boys and kids wanting to come and play oh, for him. Man. Did the same thing with the girls' basketball team. Had one of my boys come coach, took them to the state championship. Mm-hmm. So now we got the morale with the kids. Okay. Now we got kids trying, now they to, trying to transfer. Now they buying mm-hmm. Letterman's jackets. And then when it came with the, with the, with the, with the staff, it was really – we had this mantra, we had bracelets, and it was each one reach one. Mm. And it was like, who are you reaching outside of your classroom and how are you reaching them? So we really analyzed all the kids on the campus and we said, how many kids are inside of a club or inside of a sport outside of just their regular coming to school? Mm -hmm. And when we looked at that number, we were like, okay, so how are we reaching this percentage of kids? Mm -hmm. And we were really intentional to ensure that kids were connected with adults on the campus outside of the classroom. So that meant you were hosting either a club Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. A sport, or you were doing some type of after school enrichment, or after school um, um, uh, clinic that mm-hmm. you were helping with kids. So, however you got in, get in where you fit right. in. Right. So, I really felt like it was everyone. Mm-hmm. And uh, one quick thing to get us out of the red, I capitalized on that 100 year. Mm. So I was like, yo, we're going to have a homecoming. We're going to have a parade in the town. We're going to have the Air Force fly over. We're going to have, we're going to wow. go big. We're mm-hmm. going to have blue vendors, trucks. And, um, I mean, we were able to get out of the red and make way more money than they we They buy in, community buy-in. Right? Because if I'm going to have, if I'm writing grants, mm-hmm. the first thing they do is they want to see your finances. Yes. And if they don't see, if they see your finances are not where it needs to be, then why I'm going to give you a grant to do mm-hmm. what you're trying to do. So it took a lot. I, 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 I say awesome. that that was one of my most exciting experiences because it was the jump off. Mm-hmm. At that role, I was a vice principal. It was a jump off for me becoming a principal. I knew what to do because mm-hmm. I had been in the trenches doing it and serving. That's that beautiful. Capacity. That's beautiful. So I, that was actually my next question, like what specific initiatives or interventions, but that's that's them. I remember when I was in HISD, we kind of talked off the record a little bit about your time in HISD when you, after moving here. But I remember we had this um, program, and I'm not sure if HISD still does it, but it was called like a reach out to dropouts or walk out to dropouts. I can't remember what the specific name of it was, but it was like a Saturday right before school started that everybody in Houston, you know, we're the largest school district and like everywhere. And everybody was given a zone. So you were given this printout of all the students that they were not able to contact for some strange reason. They didn't show up the last quarter of class. They haven't registered to come back for this upcoming um, school year. Now we have to go walk. And we walked as teams in different area codes. They may, okay, you're assigned to the dead end. You're assigned to Southeast Houston. You're assigned whatever. And you went in the team and you knocked on the door. This is the last known address. And you knock on the door and like, hey, I'm looking for Isabella. Isabella didn't come to school or Isabella hasn't registered. Everything good in this house? And they'll tell you, well, Isabella is, you know, incarcerated or Isabella ran away or Isabella moved back to California with her dad or something like that. But initiatives like that. So did you guys have anything like that where you were to find those kids that weren't coming and bring them in and keep them there? So one thing I appreciate about Texas is that they really take care of their coaches Mm. in California, not Mm. so much so. So those coaches that I brought on campus, I had to get them other positions on campus so that they would have a full-time pay. 
And one of the positions that I had, my basketball coach, he was really responsible for attendance and for getting those kids who were not on campus. How do we get them back on campus? Mm-hmm. So him and myself and a team of us, we did what's called drive-bys. We don't <laughs> drive by and get you back on campus. We had two vans. We would pal kids in. Wow. Like I started wearing sneakers with my dresses because I was running from pit bulls, <laughs> hopping over gates to get on top of the trucks to make sure I was safe because we was knocking on doors wow. getting kids. And, uh, I mean, I have kids to this day, like, man, I remember my my principal, she used to come and get me out the bed. Nah. Mom would call her and be like, he won't go. And she would be like, I'm not playing with you. You got to get in this van and go to school. Come so on. I really think it really took uh, being a boots on the ground mm-hmm. type of administrator and letting them see your face and letting them see that you care and, and being consistent, mm-hmm. just really being consistent. So, you know, I make a lot of trash talking videos about, about admin, some good, not all bad, but I think that's what we're missing in education. And I don't even know I don't even know if I can say it's one person's fault or is it a systemic thing that we don't have administrators like that anymore. I know I'm grateful right now where the the school I work at, I have an administrator just like that. She is a boots on the ground in the trenches with you. I'm never going to ask you to do something that I won't do. I'm never going to delegate something to you that I think I'm beyond. She's just not like that. And we don't have many administrators like that. And I know Especially, like you said, Texas takes care of its coaches. Texas also takes care of its certain demographics of principals as well. Um, trying to stay politically correct here this morning. But depending on who you who you are and what you look like, they take care of you too. But sometimes, depending on who you are and what you look like, you got to get it out the mud. You got to go in the trenches. And we're not going to give you all of the tools and resources that we've given, you know, Mary Jo at this school. And we want to see how Shaniqua can make it happen. We're going to see how you pull it off. And so... Even given limited resources, having administrators that are like, okay, I'm you're gonna give me this, I'm still finna turn it into something. Watch this. Then you get punished for it. You get punished and get moved. It's like, oh, you can do that. Well, let me send you down here and let's see how you do that. So how do you maintain not giving all the resources or having to pull them out all of yourself on your own and still like maintain that professionalism? Like it's still about the kids. That would be so hard for me to do. Mm. I think you have to just, uh, I think you have to be politically savvy, as you mentioned. Mm-hmm. I think you also have to know your end goal and your why. And then I would think the third thing you need to do is you need to set boundaries. Mm. And so once I established the consistency of what I was able to do in schools, then I was able to have those conversations like, if you move me here, I need three years. Mm. I need five years. So don't move me after five years. So all my contracts were minimum five years. I'm going to be at a campus Mm. if you want me to do this type of work. Then another, you know, non-negotiable was I get to bring in who I need to bring in. Oh, I love it. So there were there were roles that I had reserved. And, you know, I have uh, uh, my AP. She was from Dallas and Mm -hmm. had moved to California. And me and her, I mean, we rock with several schools. Mm -hmm. If I go, she go. Mm. And then my secretary, if I go, she goes. Right. So I had like my little dream team mm-hmm. who kind of mobilized with me. I think the other non-negotiable was like, I don't lie to the people. Mm-hmm. Mm. So if I don't have the answer, I'm going to tell them I don't have the answer. But we're not going to negotiate some kind of communication package that's oh, I going to that. <laughs> minimize or disrespect right. hardworking educators because we don't want to tell them the truth. Yeah. So I'm transparent. So if it's Or even wrong, the community. The community. Mm-hmm. So if it's something going wrong, I'm going to tell it. Oh, okay. So you may not want to tell me because I'm going to tell it. Oh, yeah. You wouldn't you wouldn't do well yeah. in Texas. So when I first came to Texas, they was like, we want you an admin. I said, I really don't think you do. Mm. I don't think you do. I don't think you do. And no. then when I went into higher ed, so I went in and I won't name the school. Mm-hmm. Um, 
but I worked for a prestigious school uh, here in the in the state of Texas. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just realized, you know, I was working in the education administration program. So my goal or my job was to help uh, aspiring administrators prepare for the state exams mm-hmm. and to certify them. And I just realized this is how they get their they state mm-hmm. certification. <laughs> like this is this it, baby. This is it. This it. And I just was so appalled at the process because while I understand that we wanted to have congruency and we wanted to have fidelity across the state and ensuring that no matter where you're at, you are taking the same exam, you have the same level of of information. Mm -hmm. I just felt like we were taking away the real world apprenticeship of being placed at a school and being able to, you know, have develop those skills that you needed in order to Mm -hmm. be a phenomenal uh, leader. Wow. So let's talk about going back to your role, your role as an administrator. Um, I know you developed something called a progressive learning model for professional development. Let's talk about that. What is that? Tell people what that looks like. Give us some because baby, we need some help in the professional development department here because it ain't it ain't doing what it's supposed to do. But uh, let's let's talk a little bit about that. So when when we talk about progressive educational model, it really is experiential learning. Mm -hmm. How are we getting kids to get involved with their learning? How do we give them an opportunity to sit at the table and say, like, that's kind of whack. We ain't going to do that. Mm -hmm. Or why don't you implement this? Or how we, this is the skill and the concepts you want us to learn, but why don't you, you know, embed more culture, embed more rigor, embed more relevance, right? So the best way to do that is through project-based learning. And oftentimes people don't really know how to do project-based learning. So the first thing I did was I took my staff to a school so they could see project-based learning in action. And oftentimes we do this to teachers all the time. We tell them about Disneyland. We tell them how fun it is, Mm -hmm. all the food, the the, the, the churros that you're going to smell because, you know, they spray churros in the air. Yeah, right. Mm -hmm. Until you go to Disneyland, you don't really understand the experience. And so oftentimes we... Tell teachers what we want the school prototype to look like, but we haven't taken them to a place that is exemplar so that they can now go back and be like, okay, now I see the end goal or Mm -hmm. I see the end game. Mm -hmm. So I get the I get the buy-in. Then number two, we don't give educators opportunity to really experiment in education. Absolutely. And experiments are, I have an idea of how this is going to go. I'm going to implement it. We're going to analyze it. And then we're going to see where we went wrong, which means I'm giving you permission to fail. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I'm not mad at you if you fail. I'm not mad at you if the numbers don't come out the way in which we project it, Mm -hmm. because this is all experiential learning. Mm -hmm. And so when teachers have that understanding, like, oh, I'm not going to get in trouble if I'm not hitting this target, Mm -hmm. but I get an opportunity to learn reassess, redo, then, okay, now I have this sense of support. Mm -hmm. I feel supported. And then the second thing, I mean, I was a crazy, if you will say crazy principal. I was like, I'm the English department lead. Mm. So I'm co-teaching with you. Mm. I'm teaching you what a co-teaching model looks Mm -hmm. like. I'm helping you develop what your project base is going to look like. I'm involved in your theme. How are we creating a student agency? How are we allowing social action to take place within this particular project? Mm -hmm. So all these elements that we are identifying as indices, how can I model that for you in real time so Mm -hmm. that you walk away understanding what it is I'm looking for when I come inside of the classroom? Mm. You know, you you just said something and it brought me instantly to thinking about the huge difference between Texas and and California. You know, it's so... um, how can I describe this? When we get trans student transfers into Cali- in from California, they are so free and they're so liberated. And the it's not as rigid there as it is here. So my kids 
come in and they're like, what the hell is this? Like, what you mean work? What do you mean we don't get to do projects? What do you mean we don't, we're not going outside and we're just soaking up, you know, the air and learning from the world around us? What do you mean I have to this test, 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 test? And so when you said, like, how are we making the kids see social activism or social justice in their units? I remember one year we were trying to experiment. This was, of course, after the whole George Floyd push, right? And everybody was trying to be, anyway. Um, so, like, yeah, yeah. Until until it got to be a little bit too much. Then we had to, oh, no, bring it back, bring it back. But we we tried these thematic units, right? You know, I'm an English person as yourself. And so I'm huge on curriculum. And so they had this big old push, like, okay, we're going to revamp the curriculum and we're going to do thematic units and we're going to do blah, blah, blah. Now, before that, it was, First nine weeks, we're doing fiction. Second nine weeks, we're doing nonfiction. Third nine weeks is drama. Fourth nine weeks is poetry. All right? So everything you did, it's so boring. I hated every second of it. Do you understand? The pacing guy. Dun, dun, dun. I mm-hmm. hated every second. Because first of all, you ain't going to tell me what to teach. I'm going to go in my room and close my door. Tell me what you want to done, and I'm going to do it how I want to do it. So they tried this thing. They bought a few of us, you know, trash talkers in from the district and said, okay, we want you guys to write the curriculum. Big. Got it. You're giving me agency to do what I want to do as long as I hit the teaks that you want me to hit. Bet. I got it. Right. So we did thematic units and everybody was assigned a unit. So, of course, me, I'm going to make up my unit and I took the social justice unit and I'm going to create everything with social justice. Right. And it was great. It was fantastic until it wasn't because it's like, wait, whoa, 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 whoa. I know we told you you could get a little freedom, but you're doing a little bit too much now. Because, no, we don't we don't want to talk about gender. We don't want to talk about um, the disparities between, you know, male and female in the working environment. We don't want to talk about uh, uh, work, women's working rights. And we don't want you to talk about, even I even got down to talking about um, discrimination as far as, uh, I can't remember the name of it, but we, we talked about the Flint, Michigan water crisis. And, you know, of course, don't bring race. It was race. Everything got to do with race. Y'all don't want to hear that. So the free agency and getting the students to think and get involved like that is cool until you get one parent. And that makes me think about Texas. And all it takes is one mom for liberty, I always say, to come in and complain about something that you're doing and ruin it for every student in your classroom. And that's kind of what Texas is. And especially depending on where you are in red parts of Texas. And unfortunately, should I say that? Fortunately, unfortunately, I teach in a red place, you know, that probably shouldn't be. But because, you know, a lot of us don't get up and show up, we could turn it, but we don't we don't get to do what we're supposed to do. But people like that take that agency away from students and it takes it away from from us so it makes me I'm so jealous kind of sitting here listening to all these great things that you guys had done at your school because I'm like Tam if they would just let us do that imagine the test scores which is their end result anyway but imagine the increase in test scores that we just let these kids be imagine if we just let these teachers be because I can teach you about these things and still teach you what a noun and a verb and how to compose a complete sentence and all these other things. But just let us be. But we are so different. I'm so jealous just sitting here listening to even the initiatives that you're talking about doing with your staff. I can think if some of our principals tried to do some of that stuff like that, how hard their hands would be hit. Like, oh, nah, you tripping. We don't do that. That doesn't look good. That doesn't make the district look good. So that's that's crazy that you just had even working your contract saying, hey, if you want me here, I'm going to do A, B, C, and D. And they wouldn't, baby, they would never. No black woman coming here talking about what you're going to do and what you're not going to do. And oh, no, nah, that's not going to happen. That's crazy. I'm jealous. 
I'm jealous just sitting here listening to that. Well, it kind of makes me angry too. Anyway, so <laughs> we move on because I'm getting like, it, it does make me angry because I'm like, damn, if we would just think about project-based learning, right? If y'all weren't holding us to a curriculum, a pacing guide, testing, which is all about testing in Texas. If you were not holding us to that, if you were just giving us the opportunity to just let kids learn and explore and just have conversations, even something as simple as, some days I don't want to do your warm-up and your seven-step second minute of the day, all this stuff that they have written for us. I want to just let the kids talk. We'll have something crazy happen in the world, and y'all just want the kids to come in. Oh, nope, sorry, we got to do a warm-up. Like, nobody want to talk. How much learning could could go could go down in that few minutes if you just gave us the opportunity to not be robots to this Texas curriculum and the Texas testing. I think one thing I learned real early, um, it starts with my name. Mm. Hello. So I have an Irish last name. Mm-hmm. And uh, my mother was very aware that my father's family were intentional of having, um, I guess you will say, like traditionally white first name. Mm-hmm. Alice O'Leary. Mm-hmm. My father is Patrick O'Leary. Mm. Right? So that when you are applying for credit cards or whatever, you don't know who you really dealing right. with. But my mom was like, no, nah, I'm going to name you Kiana because they're going to know. <laughs> right? And I believe I'm a hybrid of the two. Mm-hmm. I believe that I am the the O'Leary side, which is I have learned how to be palatable mm-hmm. and I've mm-hmm. learned how to be political and I learned how to be strategic. But also I'm still very hood and yeah. still very community-based and still very grassroots. And so when you get the two... You just learn to be a little bit more observant. Mm-hmm. And so I always say, like, policies predict um, change. And then also numbers predict policies. Mm-hmm. Right? So it goes two ways. And what do you mean by that? Like, break it on down. I, I will. If I'm a teacher and I want to see change, then the policy is I have to have an outcome, which means I have to have numbers that demonstrate why I should do something different than what you want me to do. Mm. Hello. So while I was here the one year in HISD, they couldn't understand how I had seniors and 95% of them was coming to my class in a pandemic and they wasn't going to no other class. Mm. Like literally, we log on for her class and we don't log on for no other body, no wow. one else's class. So what are you doing? Now I had all these district reps wanting to log in. I went back into the classroom. I was doing hybrid. So I'm half on here, mm-hmm. half on the computer, half got kids inside the classroom. And they like, they literally will come to your class and then ditch the rest of the day. Like, what is going on? It's you. Why do you have 95% of the kids? So attentive. So they're trying to come, trying to figure out, trying to assess. They're asking the kids, what is she doing? She giving you some money. She giving you some incentive. <laughs> like, what's the drive? What's going on? And, and it was like, nah, she just get us. Wow. And it was very simple. Very simple. Very simple. Like, first day of school, I'm playing Drake. First day of school, like, I'm playing Travis Scott. Like, first day of school, I'm just really trying to assess the audience and then really get them to have student agency to like, what kind of classroom do you want? Mm-hmm. How can I address your learning needs based on your, on your desires, on your likes, on your wants? Well, when that occurred and they see the numbers of students submitting their assignments, attendance rates going up, right? Now I get to change policy. Mm. Okay. So I get to say to my administrators, hey, I have some ideas. Mm-hmm. Do you trust me? Because you came with receipts already. I've already proven that I can do. I didn't even really have, I, I mean, they saw my resume, but I really didn't even talk about my former. I really wanted to come in kind of under the radar. Mm, okay. I wanted to test my own ability to get back and be an instructional leader. Mm-hmm. So once they saw within three months, I was nominated as teacher of the year. Okay. Right. So within three months, they see these this transformation. And within three months, I can change policy. Mm-hmm. So I always say, have the numbers, like get your stats up. Mm-hmm. 
get your stats up. So learn a game, get your stats up, and then you could transform your reality in your classroom. So they changed my entire section and I was able to really do what I wanted to do. And students were able to get college credit mm-hmm. because now it became a college course. And that's how they were mm. able to get me out of that pacing guide. Okay. So I say all that to say, once you understand the political landscape of where you're working, mm-hmm. then you're able to assess how are you going to maneuver in that environment, mm-hmm. you build up your stats so then you can have credibility. And with mm-hmm. that credibility, you go back and you change policy so that you could do what's best for kids. Hmm, I like that. So when you, you talked about something just now when you said, like, I played Drake, I played Travis Scott, I do something. You, these things are nothing to us, right? This is second nature. This is nothing that should be written in the book. And I, I always take it back to the R word, which everybody in education hates, but we say rapport and relationships, right? And for some of us, that is natural. That there's no, there's no paid consultant that you need to come in and teach some of us that there's no book that I need to read as a department reading assignment that tells me how to have a rapport with my students, especially students that look just like me. My question to you is, how do you feel about the responsibility of us as Black educators to educate our non-Black counterparts? I'm going to tell you, I that is something in full transparency here that I struggle with personally and professionally, right? Because I feel like in the age, it's 2024, if anything you want to know, you can go find it out. It's not my responsibility to teach adults. I teach kids. And, and what my students don't know or my children don't know, it's my responsibility to teach them. I'm not here to be your mammy. I'm not here to be any of those things. And so that is something that I know when people always say, well, why don't you go into admin? Well, I, I know I'm not going to be able to. I'm going to struggle with that because I don't like the... Um, well, how do you do? I can't. I just can't. I can't even sit in the room with a straight face with people in professional development and be like, you're not for real right now. You're not serious. Like, how do you how do you do that? I think your struggle is your reality and your struggle is your truth. Mm-hmm. So leading in your authenticity, admin may not be the route for you. Right. I think that when we think about the historical struggle of black people, mm-hmm. oftentimes we start with King and Malcolm. So for the sake of time, let's start with King and Malcolm. While they were very two different people, they did have the same objective, mm-hmm. right? And it really was to create fair treatment for black people. Mm-hmm. One wanted to do it in segregation, community, grassroots leadership. One wanted to do it more political, unified, let's come together. But I'm going to flip the script a little bit. Instead of always using Malcolm and, 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 and Martin, let's look at Afeni Shakur and mm-hmm. then let's look at Michelle Obama. Okay. Two women who have the same objectives, but they do it really differently. Michelle has learned to be more palatable. And Afeni is like, nah, I'm grassroots and this is what I'm going to do. People forget that Afeni Shakur, she fought the state of New York and won as a self-representative for herself and freed, right? She freed the Panther 21. Mm -hmm. How did she do so? She worked with young white kids who was able to get her evidence to support her claim. People don't realize that part, right? And so when I think about Michelle Obama, when you look at the people who are around her as her aides, she doesn't just have black people as her Mm aides. She has white people as her aides because they can speak a certain language in certain areas that she can't really articulate. So you have to figure out when I lead with truth, who am I? Mm -hmm. And you don't have to be either one. You could be somewhere in the middle. And that's where I rest. Right. Right. I'm kind of somewhere in the middle. I've learned how to be palatable. And how I am palatable, I make it comfortable for you to ask me questions. Mm. And I wasn't always that way. 
I just had to learn like that was my truth going back to my hybrid of my name. Mm -hmm. I learned that, yes, it's safe for you to ask me why black girls look at you different because you dating a black dude. Mm -hmm. It's safe for you to ask me why we protect our hair when we go swimming. Mm -hmm. I'm safe for you to ask me these particular questions and I don't take any offense to it. Mm -hmm. I also know that when I ask you these, when I answer these questions and I create that safety for you, mm -hmm. you then put me in environments that I would never be able to get into. Mm. And now I'm an informant because I go back to my people right. and I let us know <laughs> what we need to do and how we need to move. Like so that. I'm okay with mm -hmm. that being my truth. But everyone just has to learn how to lead with the truth. Mm -hmm. And when you lead with truth, you figure out which side of it you're going to be on. And don't go in the area that's just not your side. If it's not your side to be politically savvy, mm -hmm. if it's not your side to have dinner and sit at the table with mm -hmm. them and kind of really deal with some of the microaggressions, mm. if, it's not your, if it's not your lane to really uh, talk to them and kind of break down why people feel this way or why, it's, that's just not for you. Mm -hmm. And... There were criticisms in my first parts of, of admin. I, I became an administrator at 29. Oh, wow. So, you know, I had to fast forward on the fast track because they normally say, like, administration is not for you until you're in your late 30s mm -hmm. or 40s. And back in the day, you didn't even become an administrator until you, like, 50. Right. So jumping into that role really, really quickly, I had to, I had to mature really mm -hmm. quickly because I was going to be um, utilized to be a voice for my people. A voice for those teachers, a voice for those parents, right? So when we at the table and they like, expel all the boys, mm -hmm. I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. Let's kind of think about what this looks like expelling eight black boys in one session. Mm -hmm. I'll do the paperwork. But if I submit this paperwork, let me give you the pros, let me give you the cons. Let me give you everything in between. Mm -hmm. And they're like, you know what? Just give them a three-day suspension. Okay, okay. cool. Now it's we talking. Better. Yeah. Now we talking. <laughs> But if I'm not in that room mm -hmm. because I'm not palatable, mm -hmm. then they get expelled. Yeah. And so I just had to realize where my fight lies. And I think once people realize what where your fight lies, mm -hmm. like we all in the fight, we all in the struggle. But are you Michelle mm -hmm. and Martin? Or do you want to be Malcolm and Athene? Mm. And whichever one you want to be, it's okay. Because strategically, we need everybody. Everybody, absolutely. Absolutely. I'm definitely... The Malcolm and Afini, and I know <laughs> I'm not even gonna lie. And I'm like, it, it, it even probably, probably a little, a little bit of a variation of that too, because mm, I feel like, nah, I don't need to have some of y'all around. I'm just so dis, I don't trust, and so um, even I'm, I'm one of those people that'll tell you I do not believe in allyship. I just, and I know that. Like you said, politically, you probably need to be in some rooms and you probably need to learn how to, you know, smile and nod just to be in the space, right? But I believe that I just, I be looking at everybody with the side eye. So even now I'm, I'm starting to, because of podcasting, like make some political connections, right? And talk to people who make decisions and policy when it comes to education here in Texas, education in local school districts. And so they'll be like, hey, like they call me for everything. Like, hey, I got this person that um, wants to talk at the Fort Ben ISD school board meeting. What do you think about this? And Or this person that wants to come in and, and, and have a conversation about black kids. And I'm like, he ain't black. I don't want to talk to him about having a conversation about black kids. And so they're like, no, 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 he cool, he cool. And I'm like, oh, okay, that's cute. But it's, it's a me thing, right? Like, mm, mm-mm. Because I feel like, where are the other people that look like us that can really speak from the perspective and the experience of a black kid? Get them in the room. And not to say that others can't. It's just me. Like, I feel, you know, I don't know. But I get what you're saying. If it's coming, depending on who it's coming from, it'll be received 
better. But I hate that. I want to change that. I want it to be received from us because it's us. You know, I uh, I agree. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, at I was listening on the I fly a lot because I'm traveling everywhere, speaking mm-hmm. here and, and professional development here. And so I'm I'm looking at the Kevin Hart special and he has Jay-Z on the on the on his on his podcast and they're talking. And so Jay-Z, he was like, How did you know? How did you know how to create this blueprint? Mm. And he was like, I took risk, right? There was there was a wine that I took a risk on. It, it was not a popular wine, but I went ahead and put through my money in the hat and was like, it's a gamble. And then I got invited to a certain group. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of us was excited. Like, we done made it. Look, we here. We done walked through this door. Mm-hmm. But while everyone else was celebrating, he was like, there was another door. And I was trying to figure out, how do I get into that to door? That one. Wow. And so he went into that door. And he developed the blueprint. Mm-hmm. And he said, Kanye, do this blueprint. You'll make billions. Mm-hmm. Rihanna, do this blueprint. You'll make billions. Mm-hmm. So he was able to get access to develop the blueprint that mm-hmm. he can pass on to his people. Okay. And I just I just kind of feel like that's my lane. Like, I'm that Jay-Z. I'm mm-hmm. looking at the other door. Okay. So then when I get to that position of power, mm-hmm. I'm calling you and be like, yo, I need you to be the director of curriculum. Mm-hmm. But I can't put you on if I'm not willing to go through that door. Yeah. And in order to go to that door, I got to be comfortable mm-hmm. with people who are uncomfortable with me. Oh, that make my chest hurt. Make my chest hurt. Because you you speak about, you spoke about microaggressions and things like that. And we did an episode, my first season. It's it's the most to date, my most uh, streamed uh, episode. But it was about curriculum and educarians. And talking about our experience, I had like four black women sitting around at this very table and we we're talking about our experiences as black educators, black administrators um, in areas or in districts or places that are not predominantly black or led by, you know, white. And so listening to the stories and, and the microaggressions that so many people face, so many of us face every day, like this is just our everyday existence, right? Those conversations make it almost impossible for me to even want to be in the room. And I know that's something that we have to kind of fight through. I know it's not going to always be, you know, peaches and roses and sunshine when we go in certain spaces. But that is something that I just, I can't, I can't get over. We talked about, uh, I'll give you a perfect example. There was this one uh, assistant principal at one place that I worked. And I remember her sending me the nastiest email about some lesson plans, right? Like, uh, it was a Sunday night. Uh, you have not submitted lesson plans for this week, and that is unacceptable. Here, I was new. This is my first year at this school. That is unacceptable. Here, I don't know what you did, where you came from, but we don't do that here. And I responded back to her, "Oh, I'm sorry. If you would have looked in folder ABC, the folder that you chose to put the lesson plans in, you will see that my lesson plans are there. Thank you. Have a good night." So Monday morning, I'm in my classroom. I'm writing on my chalkboard, you know, because if you don't have all these things here, you ain't a good teacher, right? So I'm putting all the things on a, on a board that make you think I'm a, I'm a good teacher. And she walked in and she had this thing. She always twiddled her hands. You could always tell she was nervous or intimidated around black women, right? So she came in and I said, okay, here's the performance. I I feel it coming because I've been taught this all of my life. I've seen it. I already know what you're coming in my room. I already know what time you're on. So I didn't stop what I was doing. I kept writing on my board and she says, "Um, hi, I want to talk to you twiddling those little hands. And I was like, what's up? Good morning. And she says, I want to talk to you about your email. I said, okay, I'm listening. And she's like, well... Um, it was rude. And I said, I feel like your email was rude too. Well, it was disrespectful. I said, I feel like your email was disrespectful as well. And it hurt my feelings. Your email hurt my feelings as well. 
So I'm giving you back the same energy because your feelings are not more important than my feelings. And how you came at me was foul. And if you would have just said, oh, my bad. I didn't even see those there. I apologize. But you were wrong. And you were going to stand on your wrongness. But then you were going to turn around and make it seem like I, black woman, hurt your feelings because my tone was disrespectful in the email. And I was like, well, baby, your tone was disrespectful in the email too. All by saying as professional as I could because I already know what type of time you on. I am not here for the weaponized white woman tears. I'm just not here for it. I am not the one. Maybe the girl next door is, but I'm just not impressed. I'm not moved. And I know that's probably something I need to work on if I'm going to want to put myself in these spaces. But girl, my face will tell it every time. I'm like, girl, I know you're not coming to my classroom just shit on this on this Monday morning. I'm trying to write on my board and you come here talking about your feelings. I don't care about your feelings because you didn't consider my feelings when you didn't do your due diligence as an administrator. But it was easier for you to big boss me instead of saying, oh, snap, I didn't check in the damn folder that I told them to put the lesson plans in. So now it's, <laughs> and of course, from that, it went on to now, it went to the principal because it's my tone and my demeanor and I'm disrespectful. And I'm just like, wow, here we go. So instances like that, and that was a minor, you know, occurrence in comparison to some of the other things that I've dealt with, you know, in certain school districts and some of my very close friends have dealt with. And so those things right there, it made me be like, no, nah, I want to educate you because you know what you're doing. You, This is a game. And we see it on social media all the time too, right? Like it's not my job to educate you. Educate yourself. I had to educate my myself through reading and through life experiences. And so you do the same. It's it's okay. So I don't know. I know I need to work on that. That's a, I'm, But I can own that. I'm going to own it. You know, I'm not going to even, I don't, I don't want to undo you. Oh, thank like you. I don't want you to say you need <laughs> to work on anything that's going to make someone else feel comfortable. Mm-hmm. I just think that perhaps you determine like what is your role mm-hmm. where do you want to go where do you where do you stand because mm-hmm. that is one pathway of leadership but it's not the only pathway which is going up the organizational ladder mm-hmm. so I, I don't want to undo anyone um however my daughter was reminding me of the part on the movie Selma where they are practicing how they're going to go in these restaurants when they ask for pie mm. and how they're going to belittle them by mm-hmm. dumping water on them, sicking dogs on them. And they're just going to sit there because all they did was ask for a piece of pie. Mm-hmm. But they're in this like, you could tell they're in the basement of somebody's church and they are practicing getting yelled at. They're practicing getting spit on. They're mm-hmm. practicing like, because we know we about to go in the trenches. Right. And she was saying like, when we think of that in an analogy, mm-hmm. how are we helping our youth prepare for those microaggressions as they were preparing to have physical aggressions when they were going up in their Selma fight? You said that I'm writing because you gave, gave me a point. Go ahead. So, right, when I think about, you know, our march for Selma is not on a bridge. Our march for Selma could be making sure that we have culturally rich, relevant inside of a classroom. Mm-hmm. But what does that look like when I'm getting you know, publicly humiliated, disrespected? How do I champion those experiences so that I still get the outcome that I I seek? And I don't, I'm not here to ever say that we need to tolerate what's intolerable. Mm -hmm. You need to determine what you can tolerate. And so identify you. And it really starts with, you know, that's why I wrote the book, uh, Shameless Plug, Lead With Truth. Mm -hmm. Right. When we really talk about lead with truth, like what's true for you 
may not be what's true for me. Mm -hmm. And what I'm able to tolerate, you may not be able to tolerate. Mm -hmm. But how do we still merge together so we use your strengths as an asset, we use my strengths as an asset, and we still get to the common goal? So when you said um, that movie, preparing our youth, preparing the youth for what's to deal with, you know, what what's to come, how to deal with what's to come, um, how to deal with the microaggressions, how to deal with, you know, the disrespect. And see, I'm on the opposite of that. I feel like, I'm, even my daughter, right? I have a, a 13, almost 14-year-old daughter. And when I say, baby, God did his big one, because he's like, oh, I, I'm going to give you a little you. I'm going to give you somebody that's just like you. She's my baby. I got two older sons. She is mini me. Headache, okay? Like, I love my baby. But baby, she is just like me. I did not know I was going to give birth to a me. And so when I think about what you just said and preparing my daughter for what's to come, I feel my role as an educator, my role as a social media person is I don't want to prepare or teach other people or teach you how to deal with the microaggressions that are going to come with other people, come from other people. I'd rather teach you how to tell them what you're not going to tolerate versus, okay, guys, now um, my daughter, Michelle, Michelle, they may ask to touch your hair. This is what you can say to politely refuse them to touch your hair versus us being loud and proud on social media and other aspects where they're watching because they're lurking and learning, Right. Just know not to ever touch my hair. Just know not to ever reach your hand in my direction to touch my hair. And that's the end of the discussion. And so I think that we are we spend a lot of time um, telling the kids or telling our youth like, okay, this is how I go back. That goes back to that palatable word. Right. All right. This is how we do this so that we can still stay in the space or this is how we say this so that we don't hurt their feelings. And I'm like, hell no. Nah. Hey, don't don't reach your hand up to me. Touch my hair. And that's the end of the day. We good. We cool. You know, you cannot touch my hair. Not teach my daughter how to politely ask. We, we, that was an experience that we actually had with my daughter in elementary school. She has big, beautiful, curly hair. She wore it in the afro one day because it was Black History Month and they dressed up as their favorite character. And her dresses up in a Colin Kaepernick jersey with her big old afro and goes to school. And so all of her, you know, I think it's at this school, she had like maybe five. It, if I say five, five is probably a stretch. Black teachers there. Everybody else was, you know, other. And she texts me like, in the bathroom like mom they keep asking to touch my hair and I told my teacher one teacher no and she got mad so like now they're mad at me because I won't let them touch my hair and I remember responding to them like nobody care about that because you don't have to let them touch your hair and there's no nice way that I have to tell you to tell them not to do that and so I I'm, I'm realizing as much as I learned on social media because TikTok is a is a beautiful place for learning right as much as I'm learning you're learning too you know what to do. You know what not to do. You are playing in my face and that's what we're not going to do. And so again, not to undo me, but I know that I do need to try to find a balance. I do need to try to find that, that nice warm middle to still be who I am. But all right, maybe, maybe you ain't got to say it like that. Maybe you got to fix the tone or fix the way that you say it. But then I'm like, nah, I'm good. You know, Ugh, I struggle with that, Dr. O'Leary. I'm not going to lie. And it's okay. I think, you know, I, I really understood my purpose. I, mm -hmm. I, you know, I understood the assignment. Mm -hmm. And um, <laughs> I think about I think about the DA in Atlanta who just prosecuted Donald Trump. Oh, my God. Don't talk about that. She hurt me. Go ahead. We didn't teach her how to navigate that. I know. I know. You cannot prosecute the former president of the United States of America and you didn't know 
not to be co-mingling mm-hmm. over here on this end. Mm. Mm. Because you just want to be free and you can do you and you, I'm just me. This is who, what I do off record. No, oh. what you do off record matters. Yeah. Now we might go backwards, baby girl. So I'm okay with being free and being woke and being authentically me. And I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to code switch. I'm going to switch the code. And mm-hmm. I'm all about that too. But when you have an assignment and mm-hmm. an objective to go into certain mm-hmm. Spaces. Spaces. Mm-hmm. You got to move strategically. Yeah. And you got to be that. different. And I you got to be better. And I, I remember when I first went into college, I wanted to be a sports journalist. Mm-hmm. Now, at the time, the only sports journalist that I saw was a woman was Hannah Storm. Mm-hmm. She was the only one doing NBA sports journalism. Now we got sports journalists everywhere. Mm-hmm. They go up to they go up to this person and asking this. They was at the San Francisco game and talking. We didn't see sisters, Mm-mm. let alone women. Mm-mm. So my apprenticeship was going to be at NYU, working at some of an NBC uh, right adjacent. Mm-hmm. Do you know they asked me, the first thing they asked me was, number one, we see that your name is Kiana. Are you okay with changing it to your middle name? Oh, which was, if you don't mind. Sharice. Okay, okay. More palatable. Mm-hmm. Bet, go ahead. Hmm. Second thing. I'm from Los Angeles. I used to wear my hair in box braids before it was a big thing. We used mm-hmm. to call them dookie braids because right. it was a poetic justice <laughs> poetic look, justice right? Braids, yeah. So I had the poetic justice. They was like, are you willing to take those out? Mm. I'm like, okay, yeah, bet. I could have had the mantra, nah, I ain't taking out my braids. Mm-hmm. I ain't changing my name. And I wouldn't have got that apprenticeship. Mm-hmm. Now, I later on denied it and didn't go forward with the apprenticeship for other reasons. But I got my foot in the door. Mm. And all I'm saying is, what is your purpose? Because if I would have been the first black anchor woman in mm-hmm. sports journalism that can open up the doors for other sisters, mm-hmm. then, hey, taking out those braids for that moment would have been worth it, in my opinion. Because mm-hmm. I can always put them back in and be like, hey, I remember when they had me take these out. Yeah. Now I'm sitting here and they got them, I got them back in. And so I always say, like, some people, some people find that as belittling yourself. Mm-hmm. Some people find that as minimizing yourself. You just have to be okay with your truth. I know my truth. I know what my name and my fame and my goal and my aim is. Mm-hmm. My goal is I got to get in the castle. Mm. Once I get in the castle, I can open up the door and let other people in. Mm. Mm. Okay, I'm going to try to... <laughs> I'm going to try. I promise you I'm going to try. i just be like, don't plan my Because I looked at your curriculum. I'm like, this girl can write curriculum. Thank you. <laughs> girl can write curriculum thank you but let me let me let me tell you a little story about that and i'm going off my i told you we always go off the list of questions because now you say stuff and it made me go back to that so let's talk about curriculum right um so remember i told you they had a group of us come sit down and write curriculum blah 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 right so i I picked my section and i had a nine nine weeks of social justice so we talked about everything from um black lives matter protests we talked about uh one of my favorite novels the 57 bus uh where you learn about you know uh the the 57 bus, um, black girl, white, non-binary, I mean, black boy, white, non-binary student, some stupid decision, California, this happened in California, um, causes, you know, a lifetime of pain for one in, you know, incarceration damn near for another. And, but you learn about so many things in that book, like dealing with characters, dealing with, um, you know, learning the the alphabet book. The book is like literally a little glossary in the book that tells you all of the non-binary LGBTQ plus terms. Right. 
And so I'm writing, I'm writing my ass. I'm like, oh man, we're going to get in this. We're going to talk about the, the criminal justice system in California versus the criminal justice system for juveniles in Texas. I mean, we're doing it. We're doing a big one, right? Do you know at the end of all of this curriculum writing, the, the compensation for that was $350. $350 compensation for writing that much curriculum. Okay. So think about me or other teachers like me, because I just took one unit. It was three other teachers that took the other units for eighth grade. I'm spending literally day and night, weekend, writing, 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 because it was so, and I'm going to, I can't post it because it belongs to them, but I want to show you how, I mean, when I say laid out from the time you walk in the class to the time you leave the class, everyday hyperlinks to take you here, here, print this. You don't have to do any work at all. I got it for you already out. And for them to say $350. And let me tell you what pissed me off about that is the goal. And maybe, you know, you as a curriculum person, you as an administrator would know, like, of course, we all need to be on the same page. If our end goal is to get, you know, a 25% increase in the reading scores and eighth grade students in the district, right? Common sense will tell you everybody needs to be doing the same thing. So we can get some true data, right? They were giving teachers choices. Like, oh, yeah, no, you don't have to do that. You don't have to do that. Well, wait, why did I write it if they don't have to do it? The whole goal was for everybody to be on the same page at every step of the way. And so they didn't do that. And then $350. The next year, they're like, hey, do you want to come back? Hell no. No. So I'm going to keep doing what I'm doing in my classroom because I wrote a damn bomb curriculum and I'm going to keep using this with my students. And then maybe two years later, now it's totally revamped. It's totally changed to something that absolutely does not represent. It's not um, it's not equity-centered instruction. I'm going to just say that. Now it looks like what y'all want it to look like and it puts me and other educators in a box. Now, of course, we can still manipulate and move around how we move in that box, but it still put us in a box because it was almost like a, yeah, we let y'all tap dance for a little bit, be cute so we can get, you know, through that whole DEI push, blah, blah, blah. But now that shit is over. And now it's time for y'all to go back to being good little girls and boys on this, you know. Yeah, let me not say that. You know where I'm going with this. So when you think about the skill, the talent that not only myself, but another one of my colleagues who ended up resigning after that, that pissed her off big time because she had an, her unit was, I can't remember the name of her unit, but she has some amazing stuff in there. Another English teacher, amazing. And they pissed her off because she was reading on a district approved list. Um, the hate, was it the hate you give or was it all American boys? I think it was one of those books. I think it was all American boys and district approved, right? Send a letter out to parents, right? Hey, this is what we're getting ready to read coming up. Do you know that one parent made a big stink about them reading that because her husband was a police officer and I'm tired of my husband being painted in the light because he's not like these other police officers and I don't think these kids need to be reading stuff like that. And that one parent caused so much chaos in the life of my colleague that my colleague who was well on her way to admin just passed her test. She was the department head well on her way to moving up to be somebody in the district. And she was like, I'm out. I'm done. And she left. So now we don't even get educators like her. So we're losing these good educators that our students need for that equity-centered instruction. And they're, we're leaving. And they're going on to do other things. This girl, now she, she got a whole hair salon. She does hair now. A lot, a lot to unpack. For the sake of time, I'm going to go probably really fast. Mm-hmm. I always look at opportunity. Mm-hmm. 
And I think, you know, we from a different generation. I've had to really accept that I am first generation millennial. I didn't, I never used to want to say it, but I'm first generation <laughs> millennial. Um, but I, I, I connect more with Gen X's, right? Mm-hmm. And I say this because I did, you know, my dissertation has some aspects of studying generational differences. And one thing I learned is that there's a generation who wants immediate gratification, and then there's a generation who understand the long game, mm-hmm. right? When I say think about the long game, I think about that dude who played a best friend, but his long game is a really be with right. You, right? <laughs> you got to learn how to play that long play game, that. right? And so when I think about the long game for me, I started off very similar to you. I was asked to be with a team, a team of six, so it was seven of us in total. Mm-hmm. We wrote curriculum. You at least got $300. They just compensated us with pizza every Monday when we came oh, together. Hell no. <laughs> After a full day of work Mm-mm. in the inner city, we would come to downtown Los Angeles and work on the curriculum. They really said it was a bank, blank slate. So we had a, a white sheet of paper. They was like, build. Whatever you do, mm-hmm. we're going to... We gonna, we're going to uh, endorse it, and then you're going to teach it to all the teachers at all the schools, mm-hmm. and then we're going to do this model for a year. We didn't get nothing for it. Mm-hmm. We got our name in the back of the book, or the front of the book, that said that we were the co-authors of it. Fast forward later, when I said I got that first opportunity at 29 to be an administrator, it was that same district that mm-hmm. was like, yo, we got a, a space for AP. We want you to come over and take over this particular site mm. in downtown Los Angeles. Did that work. Did some tra- it was an alternate uh, all-ed school. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I'm dealing with all of the students who have just been released mm-hmm. out of juvie or got kicked out, aged out, dropped out, whatever it was. But that was the demographic of students we're, we're supporting. And we're helping them not get GEDs. We're helping them get diplomas. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're helping them get high school diplomas. So did some really phenomenal work with some phenomenal people. Fast forward a whole nine, ten years later, that particular campus was on a community college. The community college president, I had to work with her because we were we were occupying space on their campus mm-hmm. for facilities. Plug, Texas does a great job with facilities for their schools. Mm-hmm. Come to California, the facilities look like who shot Bob and why do you have kids even in this place wow. right now? So I was really blown away when I first got here looking at the, the schools and the facilities. Mm-hmm. That's a whole nother thing. We got to find places, little nicks and crannies that have schools in in, in, in California because it's so congested. Mm-hmm. So we we are on this community college space. I have to interact with the president. She sees the good work that I'm doing with the particular kids. It's over. Mm-hmm. She, 10 years later, has a homegirl who hits her up like, yo, I'm looking for a founding principal. We're about to open up this particular charter school. It's a specific academy. And she's going to have to find, she's going to have to sign an NDA because we can't even let her know who's the school for. Oh, wow. So they hired me. And because I was an instructional leader, Mm -hmm. not just a leader, Mm -hmm. I had a strong curriculum background, Mm -hmm. was put on by this president who saw me because the people who I wrote this curriculum and got pizza for Mm -hmm. gave me this (laughs) opportunity, right? Right. This is the long game. Mm -hmm. I go, I develop the school, hire all the teachers. Mascots, colors, location, lunches, you name it, I built the entire school. Ran a school for a couple of years. Another district picked me up, wanted me to do another turnaround school. Still didn't find out who the school was for until finally they decided to put his name on the school. Mm. And we have the Russell Westbrook Academy. Mm. I forever get to say I wrote Russ's, uh, I developed his school. That's what's up. Like, you can't take that away from mm-hmm. what's on my resume. Mm-hmm. 
So now when it's time to develop Kanye's school, who was they calling? Mm -hmm. When it's time to go fix LeBron's school, who they calling? Mm -hmm. All because I was willing to eat pizza. Mm. Oh, Lord. Let me see how much I like pizza, though. <laughs> Well, I just say that. like like play the long play game. Play the long game. Play the long play game. Because you never know what opportunities and what doors mm -hmm. you might be walking into. I love that. Um, and so that's what I do now. Like mm -hmm. that's why I was able to semi-retire at age 40. Mm -hmm. Because now people call me to come and help with mm -hmm. their the development fixing. of curriculum, mm -hmm. fixing their principals, fixing their teachers, whatever mm -hmm. it is. That's what I get to do. I get to do it on my terms. Mm -hmm. Like one rule I have, I don't work on Fridays. Mm. Another rule I have, if you're going to fly me, this is where I stay, and this is the kind of flight I take. <laughs> but I go back to all because I was willing to eat he's pizza. He was willing to eat pizza. All right. Okay. On Mondays. Learn compensation. pizza on Mondays. <laughs> all right. Two more things. I know I got to get you out of here. But um, let's let's quickly talk about equity-centered uh, instruction since we touched on that a little bit. So we know that equity-centered instruction is a crucial aspect in education. Um, how do you define and prioritize equity in these um, in the classroom, in the context of instructional practices, and uh, what steps can educators take to ensure that their teaching methods are inclusive and they promote equal opportunities for all of their students? I really, on for this one, I like to really talk about equity-centered, um, the four pillars of equity-centered education. Mm -hmm. So there's four pillars of equity-centered education we really hit on. One is pedagogy. Mm -hmm. That's what you're doing, how you're doing it, mm -hmm. and understanding your audience and getting that done, right? We already understand. We know that when we look in the classroom, I know in five minutes if students are engaged. It takes me even less than that. Mm -hmm. And I can count. I can tally. While you were talking at 10.58, approximately 13 kids was paying attention, and the other 12 was doing something else. Mm -hmm. What were you doing at 10.59 a.m.? So that we could make sure that it's more relevant, more rigorous, and that it expands to the attention of your of your audience. Then we have equity center policies, we have equity center practices, and we have equity center programs. Okay. And so if I'm doing an audit and you ask me to come and identify where you lack equity, I'm gonna look at data for all of four of those areas. I'm gonna have qualitative data where I'm gonna ask stakeholders how they feel about these different areas. And then I'm also going to look at your quantitative data, mm -hmm. right? So I can look at your budget and see where your money is going. And if your money ain't going in this area, it mm -hmm. already lets me know we got an equity right. problem. <laughs> so after I give you your report, after being there for three days, then you're able to assess what areas in one of those four pillars do you really want to work on? And you can hire me and my team mm -hmm. and we'll do more work in supporting you professionally as mm -hmm. it relates to that particular area. Okay. One example would be with equity center programs. If I go on a campus and I see that the only way I can be a part of a program is I have to have the cognition. So that means gate. Mm -hmm. I got to be able to pass some tests to get in this program. Mm -hmm. Or I got to have some skill. Like I got to be able to hoop in order to be on a basketball team. Or I got to know how to sing in order to be in a choir. You mean to tell me there's nothing where I could just walk in? Like I don't have to be mm -hmm. any great in any one area. I could just be me. If you don't have programs for those kids, mm. if you don't have equitable opportunities mm, for them to connect on your campus and therefore they're disengaged. Mm -hmm. And those are the kids that are going to eventually drop out of campus. Right. So you want to have programs for, for the regular schmegulars, mm -hmm. as Cardi was saying, mm -hmm. right? And so if I'm knowing, like, you don't have regular schmegular stuff, you ain't even thinking about this disengaged population, yeah. then what are we doing to create some programming for that? What's for them? For, what's for them? Mm -hmm. And so I really um, help people to see, like, identify these areas by first doing a self-assessment. Mm -hmm. 
And then also gather the data. I believe in triangular data, right? Mm-hmm. So I believe in what are people saying, what are the numbers saying, and what are the artifacts? Mm-hmm. Like what, what are receipts? Mm-hmm. So when you have all three of those things, then you can have a real question. And most people are very afraid to get the real truth to their practice. Oh, hello. So they don't want to see the artifacts. They don't want to see. They don't want to see the data. Mm-hmm. They don't want to see. The, they don't want to hear what the people are saying. Mm-hmm. And so therefore you stay in this place of not really being truth. You're not walking in truth. Mm-hmm. You're walking in what makes you feel good about yeah. yourself. Yeah. And what and makes we, us look good. What makes you look good. Mm-hmm. And so if once you're really able to tackle the truth, and I did it with myself, when I looked at my special education program, it sucked. Mm-hmm. So how can I expect students who are labeled with IEPs and special needs to move in, you know, whether it's engagement, whether it's in attendance, whether whatever the 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 target that I'm trying to aim when mm-hmm. I have a really bad model. Mm. And how did I do that? I called someone from the outside externally, like, come out at us and it's going to look ugly and we're going to deal with the ugly truth as a school community. But I need to see the truth. But I need to see the mm-hmm. truth. I need to see where we're lacking. Mm-hmm. That's an equity practice because mm-hmm. I really want to assess this particular space. Now, I don't I don't agree. I was crazy. I would have nine initiatives going on at one time. Mm-hmm. Like, we're going to fix all nine. Right. <laughs> no. no, I would say you never you never want to go over three. Mm-hmm. But figure out what are those three things that you're going to focus on as it deals with equity. Shameless plug. Mm-hmm. We got our conference coming up. So come to the equity conference. We're mm-hmm. going to teach you. We're going to take care of you real, real okay. good. But mm-hmm. that's what even really started the equity conference was I was looking for a space and a place that had people who were boots on the ground to share with other boots on the ground, mm-hmm. right? Teacher to teacher conversations, admin to admin conversations. Because mm-hmm. oftentimes you go to a conference and you got someone who's on theory, they're a researcher, but they've never stepped Never foot been in the class. In the I classroom. don't want to listen to you. And they done paid you $30,000 to sit in and waste my time. Exactly. Ooh, I'm so I'm that. like, nah, let's create a space where I can have people who are doing the equity work to share practices, share, share you know, real live um, strategies of what they're doing so you could take it away and do mm-hmm. it right away. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it really starts with wanting to get that audit, wanting to see, you know, hold that mirror up and look mm-hmm. at all those ugly pimples so yeah. that we know what to do to, to bust the head. That reminds me <laughs> of when we had Dr. Byron McClure on, who's like the school psych, black male school psych, right? And he was talking about how he created this app that showed um, the disparities in exclusionary disciplinary practices amongst students, right? So he created this app and had all the data in the school districts when he would take it to the school districts, like, hey, look at this app I created. I ran a, you know, a little mini audit at, at this campus and look what I see. And the school districts are like, oh my God, this is cool. This is so dope. You get to see everything. And then they're like, but you get to see everything. Yeah, now nah, we're going to pass because, like you said, that ugly truth is in, the, in your face. So that tells us whether or not you really are sincere about dealing with what you got going on on your campus. Or it's like, okay, we know, but okay, now we know it. Let's sweep around and just try to make it pretty. We're going to put lipstick on the pig instead of just, you know, tackling the issue because we can't let other people know that this issue exists. We hear y'all saying it exists, but we're not going to acknowledge that. We can't acknowledge in public that it exists because why would we do that? And that's just it. I don't think people want to be great. Mm-mm. People don't want to be great. Now, I'm going to say something that's real sensitive. I I, I love y'all Texans. <laughs> and I, I know y'all had a hard night last night. I know it was hard, but... <laughs> But we 49ers, we had a really, we had a really powerful <laughs> night last night. Shout out to the Niner gang. Bang, 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 bang. And, you know, they were, they kept saying, we're going to see if, we're going to see if Brock is a good quarterback. We're going to mm-hmm. see if he's a good quarterback. Can you come from behind and can you really get your team to get to this championship space? And he had to really look at himself and be like, 
if I want to be great, I'm the only quarterback that's in the playoffs right now that wasn't a, a first-round pick. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I was like a seventh or eighth-round pick. Mm-hmm. So if I want to be great, if I want to be considered a legend, I got to be able to come from the back. Right. And I always tell people, look, come from the back. Your data going to be whack, whack right now. Mm-hmm. It's going to be ugly. But you great if mm-hmm. you can come from the back. And people don't want to come from the back. Well, we like you said earlier, we scared we're not going to be given the opportunity to come from the back because, you know, like you said, I can do this. Give me this time. Or I can do this, or I want you to do this, but I'm going to give you the room to make mistakes too because I know it's not going to be perfect the first go round. A lot of us aren't getting that. So imagine, like you said, if teachers or, or administrators were given room to fail, given the opportunity to fail and then improve, how great we could be. We could come from the back and be great if we had people that were giving us that that space and that grace to make mistakes and to, to see where we're going to fail and fix it. So what I would say to, to some of my principals who I'm coaching when they first get in, I'm like, go go deep in the areas that you're strong. Okay. We're not fixing nothing right now. Okay. I need you to let them know why you are unstoppable, untouchable. Mm-hmm. So if your area is, is instruction, I need you to I need you to ball out on instruction. Mm-hmm. If your area is culture, I need you to ball out on the culture. I need everybody wanting to get their kid in this particular school. Mm-hmm. If your thing is attendance, if your thing is ELAC learners, whatever your thing is, I need you to ball out real hard. Give me two years of balling out real hard. Mm-hmm. Let your numbers then be able to change the policy. Okay. So now when you get to the point where you have cred, you got street cred, like mm-hmm. we talked about in California, you get that street cred. Now you're like, okay, so now let me start looking at these ugly truths. Mm-hmm. You can't go in on year one trying to undo some systemic challenges mm-hmm. without building that cred. Okay. So it's a process. It's a process. I call it the long game. Oh, the process. It's a process. All right. Last thing, and I'm going to get you out of here because I know you on your way to church. And I we don't want to stop your worship No, I got to get to the youth. Gotta I got to get, get to the youth. So real quick, I want to talk quickly, uh, if you could sum it up for us. You guys, you were in this webinar um, about... It was titled Crucial Conversation for Radical Educators. And I think your, your episode was about um, Educator Fatigue. Does that right? Yeah, Educator Fatigue. Um, can you share some of those insights and strategies that you discussed on that webinar? What is Educator Fatigue? We all, is it burnout? We all, we tired. Mm-hmm. We tired, boss. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, uh, my company, Minty Educational Services, we host a webinar every month. And it's called Crucial Conversations for Radical Educators. We call ourselves the system disruptors. And that really started with me being in higher ed and having this space where I'm working with either aspiring principals or aspiring teachers, and they needed a place to gripe. Mm-hmm. And they didn't feel like, you know comfortable having conversations like this on their campus. So I was like, oh, you can have the conversation with me. Like, I have nothing to lose. Mm-hmm. Like, let's, right. let's do it. And so now we bring people who are radical to talk about you know different topics that people don't want to really hit on. And at that time, I kept hearing the buzzword, which was educator fatigue. Mm-hmm. We tired. We burnt out. We burnt out. And I'm like, okay, let's really address it. And so I really come from the research of Stephen Covey, who talks about proactive being reactive. Mm-hmm. And most of the time when we look at practices and protocols, they're all reactive. This happens. Pandemic happens. Now we're responding to mm-hmm. that, right? Whereas my campus, I had no re- no really challenges as a principal in the pandemic, even when I left and res- uh, transitioned over here to Houston, that school was sustainable because we was already doing full-wide Google Classroom. Right, right, right. So it was nothing to, to say, like, we're going to do this at home virtually because we were already there. Mm-hmm. It reminds me of even my church. She was like, we've been online. Yeah. So when it was time to go online, we weren't being reactive trying to figure out how to do live stream. Because y'all were meeting we the was, needs of everybody. Of we was all already doing that, right? Mm-hmm. So oftentimes, we always are doing really, we're backwards. We're doing things on a responsive note mm-hmm. rather than being proactive. And so when you think about what are some ways to be proactive when you talk about educator fatigue, number one, 
is there's three ways. One, you have to be your best self independently. When you are your strong self independently, then you could collaborate with others. Oftentimes, you weak, and now you want to collaborate with others, and now they're trying to hold you to a measure that you don't want to rise up to because you're a weak link. Mm-hmm. So focus on being like your best self. Ooh, that's that truth that somebody don't want to hear. Yep, like focus on, and that, and, they, and Stephen Covey even has it in his book, like this is how you identify your areas of strength, your areas of weakness, so focus on being your best self. Then you can focus on being a good collaborator, and then after you're able to be a good collaborator, how are you able to be a good leader? Mm-hmm. And oftentimes, we want to stay in that collaborative space. We don't want to push over, hand, hand, wink, wink, mm-hmm. over to that leadership space. <laughs> um, hint, hint, wink, wink. And the reason why we do that leadership space so then we can replicate our efforts of having more strong, independent educators. So Woo! the burnout is real, the but there are ways so to, to prevent the burnout. And uh, I'll tell anyone, I don't care who you are, what industry you're in, you need to have non-negotiables. Once you really identify what your core values are, then you make decisions based on those core values. Mm-hmm. And if your core value, I don't care how much they offer you, a Bentley, a Benz, six figures, eight figures. If that doesn't align with your core values, you're eventually not going to um, align and want to even be in that space anymore. If you don't want to eat pizza on Monday. That's just not what you do. But I just happen to like Italian food, so pizza was all right with me. <laughs> I love it. I love it. I wish I could keep you here a little longer, but I know I don't want you to miss out on your service. Pray for me while you're there. Pray, I will. Pray for I will. me. I pray for Need to be palatable in spaces. That part. Okay. That part. <laughs> but I thank you so much for coming. It was a pleasure to have you here. Uh, tell the people how we can find you and your service. Maybe somebody needs to hire you for convocation. Yes. Uh, Minty Educational Services. We're on IG, Minty ES20. We are on Facebook, Minty ES20. We're on LinkedIn. Same thing, Minty ES20, and then we're on YouTube, Minty ES20. Uh, we have conference coming up March 23rd, virtual. You can tap in, get your ticket. Only 60 bucks. You're going to get a lot of okay. a lot of information. I got some of my good friends coming in. Uh, first year, we had Dr. Tyrone Howard last year. We had Dr. Patina Love, and this year we got Dr. Tyra Yo. So, so. Okay, right. we try to bring the heavy hitters. I love it. I love Houston it. didn't want us here. We was supposed to be in person. Houston can get you here, but let me tell you what you need to but do. But that that SB seventeen saying we can't do no oh. DEI up in this Texas. Well, no, you can't, you can't word it like that. Yeah. You got to word it as something else. But we're gonna get you in to some school districts as vendors. Yes. And then when you're a vendor, you can maneuver how you maneuver. Yes. So we're going to work on that. All right. We're going to work Let's on do that. it. All right. Well, thank you again, Dr. O'Leary, for joining us. And we will catch you guys next time on Reach My Force Finance, the podcast. This podcast was made possible by producer extraordinaire D. Francis at the legendary Lab 7 Studios in Mo City, Texas.